0: I was asked to uh, introduce our speaker this morning. Uh, Joey, I've gotten to know through the youth ministry here at uh, Grace, and he is a remarkable person. And uh, this is the second time that he'll be sharing with us from God's Word. You will find this to be totally well worth getting up this morning and coming to church. Um, He does a great job. He uh, two two VBSs ago, as I was leading the Bible time, Joey asked if he could come and help me, and I said sure. And uh, he caught he taught a couple lessons, and they were just amazing. And uh, and then this past VBS, Joey just took over. (laughs) Uh, That whole room was decorated by Joey. Uh, he did a great job of sharing God's word in a passionate way that really captured the attention of the students. And so I'm excited to present uh, for your uh, enjoyment and enlightenment in God's word. Joy Masazik..
1: Good morning, everybody. Uh, like Rick said, thank you for getting up this morning. It means a lot. Um, just scooting this over. So, in this series, what we've been talking about is when God is misunderstood. And we're going to jump right into it. Where is there scripture that we misunderstand? Where are we missing the boat? What are some ways that we're getting something different than what God is saying? And so today, to help us understand what we're going to be talking about, we're going to look at a man. Now this man, born in 1906, is someone that may jog your memory in the realm of church history and in World War II history. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor, a theologian, a revered author, and eventually a spy for the anti-Nazi movement. He did a lot in his life. He was born in February of 1906 in Breslau, studied seminary, and from there, became one of the most persecuted pastors in all of the Protestant churches in Germany. He had a very hard time. And what he did was he was a part of the new movement called the Confessing Church. And the Confessing Church was a group, one of the only groups, that publicly and firmly condemned the actions of Hitler and the persecution of the Jews. He spoke on behalf of them, which was a very tough and kind of a rare thing for what was going on around him. Now... His calling by God, which we may see as a huge job, was to lead a political and um, religious revolution against the most cruel tyrant in the 20th century, Adolf Hitler. And even though we may see that as a huge job, it was his daily life. And his impact on the Protestant church in Germany was remarkable. And the things that he did were extraordinary. And he had tremendous faith in God. And all of these great things, but sadly he was executed on April 8th, 1945, just before the war ended. And that's tough. It's a tough end to the story. And in fact, um, a phrase that we all have heard that when we, we, something we kind of think of when we're studying someone like Bonhoeffer, his life, um, a phrase that you may have even said to another person before, and I've done it too. It's something that's happened. And here it is. God will not give you more than you can handle. That's a pretty good phrase. I, I like that. It sounds like kind of a nice, easy life that comes with that. Now, this is something that we have heard before, and this advice, though pretty common, is not Scripture. But it's rather one of those verses that we think is. If I were to find this in the Bible, I would look in the book of Second Opinions, because it's our, it's our Second Opinion <laughs> on what the Bible says. It's a verse that I would find next to a penny saved is a penny earned, which is good, good idea, but not Scripture. Or God helps those who help themselves. You may have heard that before. All of these things we've heard, they're not quite Scripture in the way that we hear them often. So in your life, however, you may be thinking that, well, there is a lot more that I have that's more than I can handle, that maybe God even gave to me. In fact, the heartbreaking truth is there are too many loved ones that we know who have taken their own lives before because as we see it, either life or God gave them more than they could handle, and they couldn't take it. There was too much crushing weight going on, and that's heartbreaking. In fact, in our own lives, maybe your social life, your relationship with your friends, your bank account, that's a big one, your health is on the decline, despite being exactly where God called you. But yet you have more than you can physically put up with. So ask yourself, is there either oppression or pressure in your life that you just feel is unnecessary? This is a really hard thing to think about. In fact, think of this, have you ever been in a place where you've had more than you could handle and you've gotten over it, where... For example, you've gotten through maybe an addiction or a breakup or a tough time and you're thinking, God, that was way more than I could handle. I'm totally worse off because of this. This did not help me in any way. And perhaps none of those things you might be thinking about Bonhoeffer. Now, he had more weight in his life than anybody I've ever known for sure. But he was in a different situation. Bonhoeffer asked God to bring about all these adversities, all these tough things in order that the gospel might be spread. And he did that, and next what he did was he put his trust in God, his faith in God, but he still died. He was still executed, and that is hard. And so there are two approaches that we have when we come to, like, a mountain to climb, or we come to adversity. Either we're in the group like Bonhoeffer where we say, God, bring this on. I'm ready, and I want it because I want growth and because I want to spread the gospel. Or you're in the group like many of us, like myself, where you may be very regularly pleading to God to just get rid of this weight, to just take it away because it is, it's too much. And you can pray with that with the utmost faith, and it seems like we're still overwhelmed. Either way that you pray, there doesn't seem to be much of a change. So what's the deal? What is the deal? Why does this happen, we're wondering. Where did this clearly bogus notion come from that God won't give you more than you can handle? And if it's based off of Scripture, then, well, is Scripture lying to us? Or are we misunderstanding it like we often do? Well, I will tell you that it is based off of Scripture. And it actually is misunderstood and misstated scripture. When we think of what's too much, we think of physical burdens and physical trials, things that we can see, things we can fight. But what I want to show you today is that this notion comes from a verse in 1 Corinthians. And Paul, the author of this letter, takes quite a different approach. Now this is the city of Corinth that Paul is writing to in his first letter. Now Corinth is a very dark very worldly, very immoral place. And he's writing to them to tell them to stand apart from what culture says is a spiritual life. They can't worship God and worship idols. They can't worship God and keep doing all these wrong things, kind of like the world was telling them that they could do. Paul is saying, no, you got to stand apart. And in chapter 10, he's talking about their ancestors, the Israelites, and how they face the same kind of temptations. So he says this. This may be a verse that you've heard before. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there it is. God won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. Not that God won't give you physical adversities beyond your ability. Now, when I read this verse, I kind of think I'm a, a little confused how this misunderstanding and this verse go together. There's a lot of gray area, if we're being honest in this. And some evidence that we have of this distinction actually comes in the very next verse, verse 14, which we're not, we're not going to go too deep into, but it's an interesting note. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. That's it, short little verse. So Paul is telling the Corinthian church to get up and run meaning that the problem he's talking about is something that can be run from, can be ran from. <laughs> and that's that's the encouraging part of that. If the church wanted to run away from persecution, well, they'd be going against God and thus not being the church. If they wanted to run from financial debt or from sickness, I bet they already would have. But a sin like idolatry is something that Paul's saying that can be avoided, that can be overtaken. And that's pretty encouraging. This second uh, fuzzy area lies within the word itself, temptation. Now the word in Greek, parasimos, is used in this scripture. And its direct translation can be an experiment, a trial, or a temptation. Now the Greek language can present parasimos in several different ways. But what we're looking at here are trials, with beneficial purpose, temptations of character, if you will, or perhaps even divinely permitted or allowed trials. Now, in a misunderstood sense, perasmos may also be read as physical adversity, as a big mountain that we have to climb or an enemy we have to fight. And the truth is, when we look at the word in that context, that when we say physical things, physical trials, icky, yucky stuff, in our lives, God is going to have more than we can handle in his plan. And I hate that truth, I'm going to be honest. It's not, it doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? But it is the truth, that's what the Bible says. But then we also have this. I want to read to you a verse written by John in the book of 1 John, chapter five, thirteen through 14. Now John, being one of Jesus' disciples and closest friends, um, knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about all this. And he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now this passage answers to the large group of us, the very large group of us, that are pleading to God, asking him, maybe even every day, to get rid of this weight that we have. This passage says that God hears us. In our prayers for relief from physical burdens and physical trials, God gives us a hope of these two words, eternal life. We've heard that a lot before. God gives us the hope of eternal life. Whether you have a nice, easy life, your entire life, which you'd you'd be very lucky if you did, or if you have a very trial-stricken, a tough life, you know, you're weighed down with burdens, that doesn't change eternity. It can't change eternity and that is God's promise. That's God's promise in 1 Corinthians and His promise here and His promise throughout the entire Bible. So now that we know that 1 Corinthians 10.13 is talking more along the lines of spiritual temptation rather than physical adversity, we can look at it a little bit differently. I will tell you personally that I ask God to help me out with temptation and get rid of temptation a lot less frequently than I do like the concrete difficulties that I can see. Temptation is kind of one of those things that we just forget about sometimes, isn't it? That we at least try to forget. That's for sure. So, now that we're beginning to shift the phrase God won't give you more than you can handle to a spiritual temptation sort of mindset, we can know exactly what Paul was talking about in this verse. So when we look at 1 Corinthians 10.13 a little bit differently, shorten it a little bit, and bring it down to its core message, we can kind of read it like this. And this is our big idea today. Only God, who allows us to be tempted, can open the door to let us escape it. Only God, who allows us to be tempted, can open the door to let us escape it. So if we're looking at the passage, looking at 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul says in the first section that we have not faced any temptation that is not common to man, that nothing's new, nothing's a surprise. Now, this this actually kind of reminds me of something that my parents have said before. When we grow up, they say, uh, my mom's blushing, that's okay. Uh, That there's nothing that you face that we didn't face when we were growing up. You know, your problems are our problems and it's it's all the same. And I'm encouraged. I'll say, okay, how about this, mom? Um, and Dan, (laughs) what would you do? And then I would bring up the big word of social media. What would you do if a friend of mine posted this about me and then there's liking the pictures and I would bring up all these technical social media terms and be like, well, I mean, you know, we we didn't really have social media growing up. If we had a problem with our friends, we could just walk away. What? That doesn't help me. It's hard. And the Corinthian church was feeling this exact same way, in fact. They thought that the Israelites, the people who were like really, really ancient, didn't understand the problems we were having because humans are smarter now, we're a little bit more evolved, more technology. It's all, it's all different. Paul is saying no. He's saying that it's, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, that it all relates. And that is true for us today. And I do thank my parents for initially teaching me that. Um, You know, and from another perspective, it's our job to be there for one another in temptation. We don't have the power to get rid of it. I wish we did. But the Bible does tell us that we need to be a guide for one another, that we are to stand by one another in temptation. And that's our job. And so that leads us to our first reminder I am not alone. That's our first of three reminders that come just out of this one verse, these biblical truths, when we're talking about temptation. I'm not alone. Everyone in history and everyone in the future has had the same problems. And in fact, think about this. The huge time gap between the Old Testament Israelites and the Corinthian church, it was a big gap of time. And Paul is saying that they have the same temptations. Now, if you think about also the big gap of time between the Corinthian church and 2017 today, There's similar large groups of time, and yet Paul is saying that it's the same in the past and it's the same in the future, and it's going to be the same, on and on. That kind of boggles my mind sometimes. So let's look at the verse again, moving on to just the second portion of it. God is faithful, and Paul says, "...He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide a way of escape." that you may be able to endure it. You know, and it's also comforting that God is the one allowing us to be tempted. Did you ever think of that? If there was a person that really didn't like you, and they were the one behind the, the desk with controlling the floodgates of all the trials you're going to face and all the awful things, well, we'd have a pretty bad life. It'd just be awful. But that's not true. We have the God of the universe. Who is our biggest fan by the way and if you want any more proof on that you can read just about the entirety of the bible matthew mark luke john the gospel god is our biggest fan and he knows what we need and he knows what we want and sometimes they just don't go together so being tempted beyond our own ability really doesn't carry much meaning on our own we often mess up that's just the truth i mess up a lot I hope that's not new news. But if it was just up to us, we get crushed. And we mess up. So that's why it's just so necessary to have God when we're facing temptation. Now, 1 Corinthians 10.13, in my mind, kind of says this, that God won't let you be tempted beyond the ability of you and God. Both of you together. Now, what do I mean by that? If you're lifting heavy weights... Picturing like bench, for example. You're laying down on the bench, and you have the weight over you, and you're pushing up, and then you get to this point where (laughs) you feel like you're about to burst, and your face is red, and the weight's coming down, and you think it's all over, and then your spotter comes, hopefully, and grabs the weight and puts it up on the bar. And then you're fine and dandy. You're red and swollen and sweaty, but you're fine and dandy. (laughs) Now, if we put so much weight on the bar that between us and our spotter, the weight couldn't be lifted, well, we'd, we'd get crushed. We'd get squashed. It wouldn't even, it would, look, it would look awful. But that's not the case, because you know why? God is our spotter. And God, being God, can't put too much weight on the bar. That's impossible, because he's God. Not only is he strong enough for anything, but he's also always there to spot us when we need it, to lift the weight when we need it and in fact this is how we get stronger physically you know that when we lift a weight to a point where we can't do it anymore on our own and we need someone else's strength hopefully stronger than us to lift the weight up and spiritually really there's no difference on our own when we face temptation we need God to lift the weight and he never he never fails never ever ever fails to give us the help when we need it So we need the combined strength of us and God, and that leads us to our second reminder. I need God to be able to do this, to do this fill-in-the-blank temptation. And if you think about it, we can't do it on our own, because if we do, we will get crushed by the sin. We'll just get annihilated. And you know what? God won't do it on his own, because if he does, we're just watching God do the gun show. We're not gaining anything from it. And in fact, he takes away our sense of individuality if we do that, which he promises to never do. That's why it has to be both. It has to be both working together in order to overcome just about anything. Remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He was tempted in his life. Well, oh, he was tempted a lot in his life. In fact, in the very middle of his life, right before the beginning of World War II, he was in America. He was desperately fleeing Hitler's police who were trying to capture him and imprison him for speaking out you know, against the regime, imprison him for what he was doing. And then all of a sudden, Bonhoeffer was offered um, a solution to all of his problems. All of his problems could go away. All he would have to do is go back to Germany and fight for Hitler's army. Hmm. If he did that, he may have lived a full life. He may have died in battle, but that would have been pretty honorable, you know, because he's fighting for his country. But if he did that, he would be slaughtering innocent lives. Innocent Jews who he swore to protect and stand up for, he would be compromising his morality, but he may have been more safe safer if he, done, if he if he did that. Option two was to stay in America, which is what I would have done, trust me. He could have been protected and he could have been pretty happy because well, America, you know <laughs> he may have even taken the opportunity to start up a new church to still pray for his friends in Germany, but do a lot of good things, you know, give back to the community, be a good guy. But, oh man, he knew some things that I often forget, and speaking on behalf of us, we often forget. He knew what a sin of omission was. Now we know what it means to omit. Sin of omission is when you know God's calling for you, you know what he wants, and you go the other way. You know, that reminds me of the the story of Jonah. Jonah knew exactly what God wanted of him, and yet he ran the other way. In fact, he sailed the other way. Now, if Bonhoeffer had stayed and still done a lot of good things, he would have been committing a sin of omission. And he didn't want to do that. His prayer for God was to make his faith thrive, not just survive. He could have just survived in America, but he wanted to thrive in Germany, which was option three. Go back refuse military service and preach the gospel of peace again the most dangerous thing he could have done so God provided Bonhoeffer with an escape from doing some pretty despicable things not only slaughtering innocent lives but committing a sin of omission as well and by doing that he followed God into Germany he preached and he was executed now in a situation of temptation we are faced with a choice. Um, And sometimes the outcomes that we see that the world shows us are like good and bad seem to be like flip-flopped from what God says is good and bad. Now that's not in all cases, but those cases where avoiding temptation is easier and just good all around, those are the easy choices. And we're talking about the tough choices. Sometimes the entire world may be telling you to go left and God says go right to go through with this instead of avoid it. And that that's hard, you know? That's really icky. So, the talk about suffering and the talk about temptation specifically was a very popular topic in the New Testament. Paul talked about it all the time to pretty much every church he started. It was very natural for the people at the time to wonder, why am I still doing this? Why do we still have to keep holding on and not... Falling into temptation because it feels like we're getting nothing back. That's what the church was thinking. Now Paul talks about this a lot, but actually one place I want to read uh, for you is not Paul, but it's Peter. Now Peter, being one of Jesus' disciples and closest friends, says this in the book of First Peter, chapter two, verse twenty through twenty-one: For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, as a side note, these are one of these things that boggles my mind. That's a lot more than I'm able to think of. For it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Christ's example is our goal. If we did not share in the victory that Jesus had when he died and came back to life, then all of the spiritual stuff, all of these physical burdens, all the temptations that we had, that our parents had, that our grandparents had, that our friends and our family had, that the apostles John, Paul, Peter had, that Bonhoeffer had, that countless other missionaries, faithful missionaries who died in history all that they had would be purposeless. It would have no meaning. But that is not the truth. That's not the truth. God says that there is a purpose. That purpose, as 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, is so that you can endure. So that you can keep following Christ's example. And by doing that, by following Christ's example, not falling into the rotation of sin again and again and failing to live after the example. We do this so that we can endure and so that we can have Christ's example in us. And that is our final reminder. When we're looking at temptation, there is a purpose. There is a purpose. There is a purpose. There is a purpose. If you're wondering if there is a purpose, there is a purpose. These are our reminders the purpose is that we're, um, we can have the power to spread the gospel with what we do. And in fact, that goes down to even when we overcome temptation. Have you ever thought of that? When we overcome a temptation and we live to be Christ's example, that spreads the gospel. You don't have to be up in front of people to spread the gospel. 99% of the time, following Christ's example spreads the gospel. And in fact, here's another thought. If this were my life. And a trusted friend of mine told me this. If this were my life and these were my temptations, this is God's picture. This is God's story. Now that blows my mind. That drops my jaw. That's God's picture. And if Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he was in America, thought, oh man, I should go back to Germany because if I do, thousands, maybe millions of people are going to hear about the great things I did and hear about my faith and hear about my impending death. No, he didn't think that. He didn't know that. But God did. When we overcome small and gigantic temptations, we don't know what it's going to do. That's why we put our trust in God, because he knows what it's going to do. He knows the big picture. And we are one piece of that huge potential picture. So when we face temptation, when we're going through it, these are the three reminders that we have just off of this one verse out of this entire big book the bible that's full of hope we have this one verse that tells us this i am not alone this temptation of mine is not new everyone in history has had this problem in one way or another everyone after me is gonna have this problem it's other people's job to help me out and it's my job to be there for other people i'm not alone i need god to be able to do this my strength on its own is not going to cut it cuz I'm going to get crushed. God's not going to do it on his own because if he does, we get nothing from it and he would take away our free will, which he promises not to do. It has to be both. It has to be both working together. It can be mostly God. I'll tell you in my life it is mostly God, but it is still both of us. And there is a purpose. That purpose is is following Christ's example. That purpose is, as the verse says, so that you can endure and spread the gospel by doing that. So if you take this list with you this week, see how much you and God can really handle. Starting this next week and hopefully beyond that, the proactive next step that we can take in our lives is this. First off, choose your camp on how you approach temptation. Don't leave your prayers at just, God, take away this weight I've got. Get rid of it. I don't want to deal with it. It's not my problem. But rather, you have the choice to pray like Bonhoeffer did. God, bring about spiritual trials so that there may be growth and so that the gospel may be spread because there is a purpose. Look at your daily life this week and ask yourself, what am I dealing with that's more than I can handle? And in fact, I dare you to do this. You can write it down. Because I promise, when we think of this list, you may not even know it, but you're going to try your very best to forget it. But if you write it down, you can't forget it. It's always going to be there. But with that, ask yourself this. Am I relying on God's strength or my own in those situations? Because it can be 99.9% God's strength, which most of the time it is. But we have to give Him more than we are used to. See how giving in to temptation may have become a regular part of your schedule sometimes. And realize that when you choose to confront these things, it may not be easy. That you are going to need God. But that you are not alone. That you need God. Absolutely need Him. That's no question. But when you do this, there is a purpose. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you... Like Bonhoeffer did, we ask you to let our faith thrive, not just survive. God, we want to make an impact in this world, and we can only do that if you let us thrive, not if we just survive. God, continue to return your truth to us through Scripture. God, we have so many places to look, but only your word can give us real truth and real comfort god regardless of our faith regardless of how long we've been walking with you god speak to our hearts all of us have different needs but speak to our hearts lord fill our minds and our hearts and our souls with only you because that's the only thing that's going to make a difference lord we thank you for the opportunities you've given us to hear from you and give back And it's in your holy and precious name that we pray all of this. Amen.